You are listening to part five of the Permathon, an all-day, non-stop, sponsored poetry reading from a lineup of 60 brilliant poets in May 2019. As of this podcast being published, you can still donate to our fundraising total at bit.ly forward slash poem donate. Your donation will help support the Poetry Society's program of events, publications, education and outreach work, and keep the doors open to our central London venue, the Poetry Cafe. That's bit.ly forward slash poem donate. Thanks. Isabel White is next up. She's founder of Alarms and Excursions, prize-winning, published poet, activist, and aspiring um, aspiring pain in the ass. Where is she? <laughs> That's what it says here. I didn't write it. Who wrote it and where is she? <laughs> here she is. You'll have to tell me if I actually get there. Um, uh, any cemetery fans in? Cemetery fans? Oh, yes. One, two, yeah. Who's been to Highgate Cemetery? Yeah. So you might recognize some of this. Uh, this was written after a trip to Highgate Cemetery. Saved by the bell, so I hear tell. They lie pell-mell, head to toe, cheek to cheek, up the hill, down the dale, get DL to tell their tale in stone, as he told of Alice and those acquainted with Mr. Dickens. It obviously served him well. Gonna rent me a real estate, a tomb with a view on Egyptian Avenue where models of decorum and decomposure can dance round the cedar, perfect for the Paiute arranged by Mr. Rosa, where snow drops on snowdrops, and from the well of loneliness finally Marguerite, love that hat, found fast friends to tend her, those who will not betray by bedding then wedding as was the tradition in her day. Nearest to God lies Julius. His, po- his pigeons only here for the beer. Marvel at the marble no one else does today, save for curious tourists who forget the tall tales of Wallace the lion. Two boa constrictors. Can you see them on the trolley? A penny a look, because there was no picture in any book. And slippery Wombwell paying handsome, some say a king's ransom for board and lodging for his kangaroo. On the path to the gate... Jesus Christ. No, not him. The Druid son. And other boxes are stacked in the columbarium. Kathleen, love you forever. And three Japanese men lined up beneath Karl Marx. Three Japanese men in coats from Marx and Sparks. And if one Japanese man accidentally carks, there'll be two Japanese men lined up beneath Karl Marx. Thank you. Um, Katrina's gone, hasn't she? This is about Margate. Uh, Anybody know Donald McGill's postcards? Yeah, Yeah, what happened to them? Bring them back. I miss them so much. So this is called Planet Thanet. I miss McGill. Thrills, cheap as chips, waves that slapped and tickled the shore where hot boys and fickle girls kissed me quick. Days spent cruising the tubs and hot licks in pubs and clubs where docker sons, some mods, some rockers, traded punches over Judy. Today, it's still copacetic. No tears for fears, no cavalcade of motley busketeers, just beachside burka babes in hot kabaddi with Iqbal. He's the daddy. That's where I prefer to reside. Keep watch on the pernicious briny. 
where the seditious lie toe-to-toe with the malicious, where my Mr. Boombastic Captain Fantastic mixes the vibes for the capricious and the bootylicious, how he hip-hops in those flip-flops. Now the fast trains are here, Margate's further away than ever. Thank you. John Keats is buried in the Dissenters Cemetery in Rome. And I went there to visit the grave and hoped I would write something meaningful about John Keats. Uh, didn't quite make it, but never mind. Um, the, the grave next to his belongs to a major Osborne Godolphin. And it's not to be confused with Francis Darcy Godolphin Osborne, who was the 12th Duke of Leeds, envoy extraordinary and minister plenipotentiary to the Holy See, 1936 to 1947. That's got absolutely nothing to do with the poem. But don't worry. Uh, okay, I'll find it now. Right. There's bits of Italian in this. Osborne Godolphin's neighbours. On the Via Caio, tanti bei canti, the Keats cats scat, out cats the other cats, out catting on kitty littered lawns, but no catawall forestalls Shelley's shut eye. Keats cats are card carrying catacomb colonizers, i custodie caticani, tutti capolavori, sempre in funzione, sempre acatolice. Keats cats have impeccable combat credentials. They watch over all the late literati, Carstens, Corso, and Carl Felipe as they doze beneath their cypress canopy. Mystic mugs, mouse trouserers. Keats cats, once confronted, swiftly skedaddle. Thanks. How are we doing? We're all right. Uh, most of my poems are about traveling somewhere or other. Uh, there's another one. This is um, a quick, a very, very quick to, trip to uh, Egypt. This is called Isis and Psoriasis. Pack my nightshirt, pack my fez. You can leave the inky biro. I'm off to find the source of the Nile. I've heard that it's near Cairo. Waiting in the rain for the steamer as we wave goodbye from the jetty. Goodbye. I'll have a dance around the quayside, like Wilson, Keppel, and Betty. Thank you. We all right for time. Joni Mitchell. We all right for time? Yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, you see how many Joni Mitchell songs you recognise in this poem? It's called "For Joni." The voile drapes graze the terrazzo hennaed with sand. Here in the palazzo afternoon siesta of Scirocco days as shadows play and flowers lay lazy on the piano. An African wind is calling. Boats in the harbour are at anchor. Polish and bougainvillea suggest the scents of summer. A silk dress dozes on the arm of the chaise and shaded from the street below, you, the outsider, incognito, are the espionage of our encounter. As the sun rolls over the summit of the day, sits high and exhales all the way to the dark, I wonder, will you sit at the piano, promise to walk me to the harbour where mulattoes meander and conversation spark. The wind is come from Africa, 
It carries the dusk through the pink hotel, wafts in with the aloe vera. It is so hard to leave her. Under parasols in sitches, sangria in hand, the fat and fecund kiss, groom and graze, pedalos and flying bananas race beneath a cloudless, cancerous canopy of blue. We doze beneath our carapace of factor four at 42, bringing on a lazy death not headlong like what lemmings do. Cheek to cheek with his speedo date, oiled up with pisbuin, the Englishman, a raspberry mivy, wilts, while metrosexuals promenade, basting in the searing sun, and two soggy vanilla cornets in a cocoa butter sea from Dewsbury sip tea and read the lady. Thanks. Uh, I'll do one more. Um, in 1786, a dirt-poor Scottish farmer booked his passage to Jamaica. He'd, his name was Robert Burns. This is true. This is true. He didn't go. So that's Jamaica's loss and Scotland's gain, arguably, <laughs> depending on your point of view. Um, I sometimes wonder what his poetry might have sounded like had he gone and stayed there a little while. So this is a kind of Scots-Jamaican mashup. Uh, it's called Piliwali Top Ranking. Farewell to Demerera Kyle's abute. Him fleeing Babylon, gwan for Bakra boy. Bound for the banks and braes of Montego Bay, awa together the creels of Janga in scrimpit clays in him cutty sark in the bomy fame. Nemer to dander in the blushy heelands where the dawdin showers scalp the burns and brackens on chittering days in this couthy land. And Bonnie Jean, whingy daughter, natty dread, sister suffered the brigadoon eking from the dutty earth what passing for a living. Word up, whipcracker, is there anyone left to hail a brish? Delicious rhythms and mixedy maxty tongues, blethers soft as a maiden's kiss in the goruk gloaming. So it's farewell to the fuff of the breeze on your giz, the sue of the shore, trinkling lins at Chilla Macaulay. Him leaving Culloden in the sun. Him na guan reason kin from fremit folk, na jinkin and skiankin. Him awa hame to tax the midges, balance chill, seek big things. Now him breathe easy as O'Shanta's covenanta. Leave unanswered the call of sugar sweet plantation song. Where him not grieve the maroons of Mon Musk, Montrose, and Mount Stuart, sept of the Argyle Campbell, sons of Lochau, slaves name Thank you very much. I should have that box in situ. We now have Mark Warren. Where is he? Hello, <laughs> Mark's third collection. He's very impressive. Meanwhile, trees. Meanwhile, comma trees was published by Blood Axe in 2016. He was selected as a next generation poet by the Poetry Book Society in 2014. So he's got to be worth a bob or two. And there's a Tom Bowler upstairs. Mark. 
Hi. <laughs> I don't really, do I need a microphone? Um, we, we are recording. So ah, okay, so I do. Angry with trees. What shameless cheats the trees are. How poker-faced with their unbeatable hands of identical cards. An uncountable flush thrown down on the bays with an obnoxious flourish, just as each card with its oft-repeated green turns red and yellow and brown and orange. And the trees collect their winnings by sucking the poor, ordinary ground. Well, fuck you, trees. I never met a blasted tree that didn't have my taste stuffed in its wood mouth like an ace in the hole. I've just got back from Romania where I was helping some Romanian people translate Romanian poetry into English and the organiser told me quite a nice proverb which was there are two neighbours and they, both, they each own a goat and one of the men's goats dies and then he's visited by a troll from the hills sometime afterwards. And the troll says, I can grant you one wish. Would you like me to replace your goat? And the man says, no, my wish is that my neighbor's goat dies. <laughs> so this, uh, this poem's called Brute Creation. Such vile humans are the animals with their gurning faces across which coverings of fur or scales or feathers have spread like diseases of the skin. How horribly deformed are their wretched bodies. So many are born as freaks with legs where arms should be. Others emerge from inscrutable eggs with flippers or fins or wings or gills. Or, like tortoises and crabs, they find themselves encased in shells for pity's sake. Worms, in common with almost every animal, have no hands. We know that. They don't have one on each side. But it's what they have instead that's their abomination. They have, instead of hands, an absence of them. Two shuddersome profanities at which we cannot help but stare. Horses also have no hands. They have their clumping hooves instead. Colossal single fingernails that seem so brazenly to advertise a hopeless inability to type or play piano with any virtuosity at least. Yes, how appalling is creation. How chock-a-block with mockery. What an outrageous, miscreated, near approximation of the human sexual organ is the equine or canine or simian example. As though each meant in its blasphemous familiarity to drag us and all our wives and friends and neighbours back down into the murderous, pitiless muck where we might slosh and fornicate and bark and squawk and yell, blind once more 
to all the marvellous dirt. Buddies. Sometimes I have wished my dong were an impossible leviathan, which protruded with a person's girth from my loins, where we'd be as conjoined twins conjoined. It would rise to my head height, so that I might, each morning as I lay in bed, reach my arms around it, hug it tight, pressed against my belly and my chest, rest my cheek against its helmet-sized helmet, and with my eyes squeezed shut, hold it thus, so that we might buttress one another against this world's stuffy opprobrium. I wish I loved lawnmowers. I really do wish I did. Because if I loved lawnmowers, I could go to the lawnmower museum I just heard about on the radio in a piece about small museums. It's in Southport, apparently, a seaside town fringed to the north by the Ribble Estuary, according to Wikipedia. It would be quite a trip to go up there and I'd almost certainly have to stay the night. I think I might stay in the Prince of Wales Hotel, which looks conveniently situated for the station and the museum too. I can hardly bear to think how much I'd be looking forward to the trip if I loved lawnmowers. On the radio, they said they have all sorts of models, from Victorian ones all the way through to a state-of-the-art robot one that's powered by solar energy. <laughs> if I really was planning the visit, I'd probably have a bit of a virtual walk round on Street View. And in fact, I've just done exactly that in order to capture the feeling I might have if I really was planning the visit to the Lawnmower Museum. <laughs> Southport, I discovered, looks very much like Western Supermare, where, as it happens, I spent some time in a halfway house many years ago after doing a stint in rehab. Now, crack cocaine, that I loved. <laughs> One last poem. Uh, it's called Sixteen Found Dogs. As my friend Meredith used to say before she got bit, the grass is a dog in green costume praying for release. Her words, not mine. Each of Meredith's words is a dog. You'd agree if you knew Meredith. So that makes 12 dogs so far. Three stones thrown at a fence go woof, woof, woof. So that's another three right there. The ground is the last dog. Throw that dog a stick and it will catch it every time. 
Having pulled the stick down to its enormous mouth, it will wait patiently for you to throw the stick again. It will never tire. Thank you. No, 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 smallism is very bad. It really is bad, smallism. Chris Hardy is next. My old chum, Chris Hardy, he's a musician, part of Little Machine, which is the most fantastic band. He's performed with, uh, they perform versions of well-known poems as songs. They've appeared with Caroline Duffy, John Cooper Clark, Roger McGough, and me, Chris Hardy. <laughs> I'm going to start at school. It's called Stitches. When I was 10, I went to a new school. One thing I remember about it was the food, the impossibility of eating it. How I hid slabs of liver between two plates and how the headmistress wished to beat me on the hand for this. My mother put a stop to that. There was one girl I liked and I told her on the way to the bus. She swung her small square case at me. Its sharp edge cut me over the eye. The blood stained my grey glove black as I rode home on the top deck. The conductor and the doctor laughed. Even my mother smiled when I told the story about how I found out that a girl hits as hard as a boy. Um, for many years, I tried to make a living as a musician and a poet, so I was broke. And uh, this comes from that time. It's called Cleaning Up. When short, you could always get work for a cleaning agency and be paid cash across a plywood desk in a small neon-lit office somewhere off the Balls Pond Road. I was sent to knock on the doors of double-fronted villas in Chalk Farm and Golders Green with metal window frames, fitted beige carpets, and glass-topped coffee tables. The housewives took one look at me on the step and instantly knew I was not a habitual or effective cleaner of houses. But they let me in, handed over mop, bucket, pan, and brush, dusters, polish, and the vacuum cleaner, all of which, in random and haphazard fashion, I would immediately deploy. Once I'd made a start and they'd returned to their canasta, tin biscuits, silk-cut king-size, on the go all afternoon, I'd leave the vacuum droning noisily and search the cupboards for gin. Though I was handsome then and young, I was never propositioned, which, looking back on it, seems a shame. (laughs) Uh, But one day I did have... A stroke of luck. Now, this is an honest, uh, well, it's called an honest mistake, and it's, a, it's not a particularly honest story, but it's true. <sighs> right. An honest mistake. On the platform at Holland Park Tube, I found a bag left by a bench when someone had run to the train, eager to get somewhere, to someone, leaving everything behind. In the bag was a purse with plenty of cash, a scarf, some keys, nothing else. I knew I would not even try to give it back. 
The blue jag parked round the corner was a bonus. I couldn't drive, neither could my friends, but we drove the jag to Shepherd's Bush, onto the A40 and headed west. Oxford, the Cotswolds, Hereford, Mid Wales, until we'd spent all the cash and stood beneath the granite houses at Borth. In a drizzle, round us like a cloud, looking at the Atlantic's grey face and white teeth and wishing we'd done the right thing and driven south. Here's a poem about a bird, but it's also about us. It's quite a common sight in Battersea, surprisingly. This is called Giblet. A sparrowhawk has pinned a starling on its back, wings spread on my soft lawn. The starling is alive and strains its head to watch the hawk tear out feathers, skin, heart and lungs on a string. I do not interfere. We are superior to a hawk. When we do the same, we know what we are doing. And this one is related to that. Um, it's about a festival in Greece where in the middle, middle of the summer there's the great celebration of the Panagia, celebration of Mary's ascension. And uh, they go to church, then they eat. Festival preparations. Cat on the wall by the lane, beneath a tree. A man's shoulders move below, head bowed, skinning and paunching a goat hung from a branch. A young boy steps sideways to get a better look as a youth appears straddling another goat. Its rump and tethered legs shudder, unable to submit. It has seen and smelt the other's death. His weight and the rope allow his shoulders and upper arms to work the knife. A red arc towards the boy's feet, rattling hooves. No one was invited. Racing along here. Yeah, plenty of time. But I'm just going to do two more. Uh, this, uh, this one won a prize in the Guernsey, just now, the Guernsey Festival of, what's it called? On the Move, Poetry on the Move. And uh, it's only a little thing, uh, but I got a check. And this poem is going to appear on the buses in Guernsey. This is, this is not a place I've ever been to. Uh, I'm never likely to go there either. It's also going to be on the plane, so if any of you are over there, look out for it. This is about the sun, and it's about being in a hot summer place before dawn. Jacob, some early morning, when you wake, a ladder of light up the wall where the shutter is still closed, a bird, maybe a dog far off and quiet waves. What you hear is the sun holding its breath. Did you make it? And did you make the most of it? And did you make the most of it? And did you make the most of it? And 
If you did, it will be gone forever. Just as if you'd done nothing, as if you'd done nothing, as if you'd done nothing. So, filling each hour with new thoughts and acts, and lying on the ground with eyes shut all day and night are the same. But if your eyes are open, looking up, at night you will see stars return and the moon make and unmake its round silver self. And by day the sun, if clouds allow, will walk across you, dawn to dusk. It makes no difference what we do. Everything comes back except for you. Thank you. Great, a great, a great name now coming up. Lantern carrier, or is it French? Lantern carrier? No, <laughs> he's a metaphysical poet. He's obviously tall, rendering evocative, sublime, powerful pieces with profound images to absorb or ponder. Here we go, and I'm going to do this. How's that? Thank you. Good evening, um, awesome thing. Thank you, very kind. I was going to say it's an awesome thing that the Poetry Cafe is doing and uh, I'm sure we all join hands to commend them for their efforts. Thank you. You left like a lifelong bride suddenly divorced, triggering the grief of separation. Deep down in the agony of my despair, I have dyed my wounded heart with longing. Carving a path for thy return, I washed my soul with tears, became feverish from day and night runs, developed incoherence from calling out thy name. In my sleep and in my waking, my amnesia and hallucinations, I see only you, my sweetheart, only you. In thy absence, this love is a hollow prison, awaiting thy sweetness to be uncaged. Come, your royal majesty, O empress of my life, pour into my heart your golden silence. Thank you. I wish I could feel now what I felt then. You and I, hand in hand, Picking winter sweet clematis, caressing the unseen purple of the redolence on our breaths, throwing snowballs to infinitude. I wish I could feel now what I felt then. Your love painting its magical garlands on my gaze, my hopes and dreams blossoming like radiant lotuses, nature's sunsets alluring my being with their enchantments. I wish I could feel now what I felt then. Heart singing sweetly in the meadow of love, my soul but dancing on the robes of poverty, cradling, cradling my longing with blissful rhapsodies. Yet, even as my brush longs to stroke the past, I can only admire the sacrament of the here and now. Dawn is fast approaching. The beloved, the beloved is playing with each moment in accordance with his dreams. Thank you.
no guide to grief. Here at the funeral parlor, I stood over my mother's casket and watched her face. A sweetness had descended from the great void of emptiness and kissed her cheeks. On the Elysian lap of death she traveled, but love caressed her spirit, hid unseen within the stillness of her breath. What light she exuded, what radiance. The pageantry of the music touched me, sorry, the poignancy of the music touched me, and my heart remembered her fortitude, her sacrifice. My tears traveled 4,000 miles, only to drop like dew in this sacred sanctuary. Time flew like the phoenix to the eternal gate, yet my mother's essence lingered, exuding the peace of heaven. Today my soul bird cried copiously, and my younger sister, not seeing me like this before, dropped her head onto my shoulders and wept with me. There is no guide for grief. There is no guide to grief. No compass, no maps, no GPS. The blind has a dog, yes. The captain his navigational charts. But love, the astrolabe of God's secrets, carves his choice hour into the emptiness of each soul. Thank you. Come, 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 my beloved. Here it is all cold and rainy. The splendor of the snow has faded. The pain of aloneness has entered my core. Let the light of your fire warm my heart. Rub your sweet cheeks against my face. Stab me with the arrow of thy love. Let us stroll together, locked in the embrace of thy tenderness. Come, she said alluringly, and I walked with my lover straight into the abode of eloquent silence. Here in the sterning void of the nameless, the sentient became dissolved in flames of bliss. I saw the beggar I once evaded, the downtrodden and the oppressed, the tramp and the courtesan I once scorned, soaring in grandeur through the celestial sweetness. All morals were dispersed in wings of light. Low caste, high caste, straight, gay, liberal, all distinctions vanished. No need for scriptures, priests, the vanity of ego now gone, dusty mirrors, the mind's brilliance, all displayed, all dispelled into the heart's radiance. I waltzed with her majesty, tried Dared to open my mouth to praise, only to find myself mute. Bedecked in the candles of such magnificence, my chairs became a river of joy, immersed in this intimate mystery of the unborn. My lover smiled and a thrill of ecstasy ran through me. What is this unseen realm, O lover, I said in stillness, bathing within the sea of the deathless. Be quiet, she whispered. Let us delight in this mystical conversations. I am the I am that I am. Love's mysterious kiss, 
The moon and sun have pressed the lips against me, covering my tongue with the sugarcane juice. My lover, I inquired, do you know this lusted garden? My beloved replied, here the hummingbird sings of another virgin dawn. The rose discards its thorns and lie in sweet nakedness, dancing to the drums of a new kind of melody. Emptiness, not this, not that, only the bewildering presence of the one. Thank you. I think that's my last one. Okay. Ode to Adversity. She kissed my, this is Ode to Adversity. She kissed my heart. Nature walked me to the moon and we both cradled my struggles. I pine in the handicap of my afflictions, adorned by love unfolding its own secrets, singing its own mysterious songs. Here in this bodily temple, her dauntless will pushes me to manifest the beloved's dream unique. Everything really does happen for a reason. And while one may not comprehend this veil of darkness, tis but a shadow interwoven with the colors of his light. Adversity dyes me in shadows only to invoke the bridegroom of the sun. All continues to happen for the progression of my soul. Thank you. Last one, definitely. Sometimes I am nothing but the veil of tears, a simple flute echoing the music of this great love. At such times my heart, as if by an unknown power, becomes vast and endless. And as I said, I'm nothing but a veil, a river of copious tears. But my beloved leaves and I continue seeking this great joy. This vast peace must be equally in the seeking as much as in the experience. This land is so profound, so filled with mystery. Who can tell? I know not where I am nor whither I go, but for the blind hope, the fate that sustains my dreams. I am, in, I am alive in you, O Empress. Bind me to your strands of music, my regal one. Your sweet chords playing a symphony for my solace within the soul. Let me rest in the emptiness of your ever-transcending resonance to bathe in this void of supernal bliss. Thank you. Next we have Fran Locke. Fran is a sometime itinerant dog whisperer. <laughs> she won third prize in the Poetry Society's National Competition 2014, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce Fran Locke. Are you there? Yeah. what's going to happen. There we go. Great. Brilliant. So I'm probably going to read one poem because that will probably be enough for all concerned. Um, strong language and disturbing images, not just in the poem, in the world in general, but specifically in the poem. It's called In the Presence of Enemies, and it starts with a quote. I am thus not in front of judges, 
but in the presence of enemies, so it would be quite useless to defend myself. Also, I have no fear of any sentence that you may pass on me, while protesting, nevertheless, with energy against this substitution of violence for justice, for this frees me in the future of any inhibition against repaying the law with force. Blanqui, from his defence speech, 1832. Hope springs ridiculous on Instagram. All that bitch please, all that piglet erudition. Where hope is a cut price paraphrase. Oh, malevolent renter quotes, you hordes, you starsy queens of shade. Grief is the upper limit of your kitsch, your skin some luscious uniform. Big fella was talking horseshit through a megaphone. What is to become of us? The odour neutral future, yes, demilitarised, sublime, to pick through our city, to live inside a city disfigured into labyrinth, cradling our broken phones. There's a crack in the blind glass, spreading the slow blink of a parallel eye. So many screens, so many eyes. We scavenge cracks in screens for warmth. No one can be hungry and be wise. This feed is bottomless monarchy, money our deathly trending tallow money, suctions that corrupt as they console, the dark there there, a fat mouth being bled. I saw him, an abscessed nerve, thin fang, milk transparent, money is his laxative, I saw him, he is spoofed pork, he is hope, sprung crouch in human shape. A school of fiscal eunuchs moon the ruins of a church. Receptacle for cortisone and stale caffeine, my brain it aches. The internet has spoken, sectarian and bestial. We will be stop and search and search and seize and rounded up. Indexed, sectioned, assimilated, scattered. Her eye is an umbrella, Angerland, to live inside her largesse like a pauper lunatic. Her prying touch impersonal as porn. Every day my glitching pulse, my panic, my myotonic capsize on the train to work where racks of swinging meat and oh, you row of whitened smiles, shock troops to her soft policing. Now poet is an ugly velvet buzzword. Now the near insane symmetry of her face, she's faking fake, gilded fiend, jackal-headed goddess of the new conviction, useless floating lobe. Poetry is straightened like a smile is stretched, oh wonderland, most serviceable crocodile. Poetry, these feeble Anglo-glossaries is so much lawful motherfucking, don't bitch please me. All of us connected by hot magnetic threads. Politico, that crucified mooncalf googling himself to death. I've seen your world. Your world is vivisected beyond remedy. Your world is vivisected out of any recognition. Someone comes to repossess my sanctioned hemispheres. Much justice, such money. Conjoined twins dressed in the locked jaw of identical violence. Who's sorry now and what do you intend to do about it? The world weathers its long vegetable atrocity, all our broken exits. Angerland, panopticon, monocle without an eye, hovering. Murica, incessant and beseeching mouth, inevitable absolute, a beast with teeth. Murica, a million vanilla skeletons, each limb a brooch secured to the last by a slender steel pin history. That grim curatorial shuffle, infinity of sifted bones, syntax, context, liars and spiders, most articulate emergency history. What is mimicked, what is cloned. 
America, doing Poriemos II, Electric Boogaloo, doing the museum as theme park funding genocide by William Castle. Angerland is a child's tongue punished at a ribbon cutting, malignant deliverance, flagon of mead. We're lost. In unemployment's algorithm, opioids and glycerins, the water rising, morphing north. How skies are purged of birds, how motorcades and unconcerned, so many screens, so many eyes, replete, debased. Desire lies only in the ear or the frontier of our fingertips, and by desire some dreamier, eternal, a word might matter, waking, maybe recognize a friend. Right, we're running a little bit early, so a little bit of um, bit of news for you all. Donate. That's the first thing it says. All the money raised goes to this place and the bit that's above, Poetry Society. We need your money. We need lots more money, so keep giving. I hope you've all bought raffle tickets and tombola things and what have you, because there are books to be won, including mine. So get those tickets, yeah. You want it already? Oh, man with taste, I must say. <laughs> okay. Um, buy T-shirts. Where are the T-shirts? Are they up? Oh, he's got one. Pyramathon. Yes, good, cool. Very good. Okay. And become a member. Who's not a member of the society? Oh, shame on you. The number of times I go to gigs and people are not members. We need you to be members. And you get all kinds of benefits from being members. You get free stuff. And you get to come here and wave to the poets and feed them and what have you, pet them and so on. Okay, so we're into the graveyard shift now. So um, thank you all for staying, first of all. You lovely people, you've stuck through thick... Who's been here all day? Well, I know you have. <laughs> and he has at the back. Did you say you have as well? Okay, well done. Well done. Okay, I didn't see you sneak out. I, I wasn't here earlier, so okay. So we're going to kick off. We're five minutes early, so you've all got a little bit longer. Not too long, but a little bit longer. So first up, Izzy Mead. Where's Izzy Mead? Hello, Izzy Mead. And it says here, you work for two years as a teacher trainer in a rural Rwandan village. And you're now at the Story Centre Museum in Oxford. Yes. So let's have a big hand for Izzy. Thank you. Cool. Um, Can you see me? That's good. Um, Yeah, I just want to say it's so wonderful to be here. I feel really honoured, especially to follow Fran Locke. That's amazing. Um, So I'm going to read a few poems. My first two poems are about um, my time living in Rwanda. I lived there for two years, and I came back about ten years ago um, and um, made quite a big effect on my writing, especially the stories um, from my neighbours. Obviously, it's very, very complex, um, and... um, Basically, the whole country has post-traumatic stress disorder, but they haven't dealt with it and haven't had the resources to deal with it. So there's a lot of silence, but there's also unbelievable kindness. So this first poem is about my neighbour, Papa Fabrice, and he always used to give me sweet corn. Um, So it's called Sweet Corn. They appear at my doorway every morning, golden parcels encased in leaves, sometimes avocados, peas. I don't know the reason, maybe a greeting, 
I never see him. Only later, perhaps, I'll catch him walking under banana trees where the track widens. The tightened shawl, the careful step, the stick. As children dip down or run by or high-five. Papa Fabrice! The traditional custom of calling a father after his firstborn always stayed with him, though no one knows, a young Fabrice, where he is now. At the market, I try to catch his eye, detect a smile, but I'm caught up in greetings, patriotic songs and praise to the heavens, pleas for language exchange, conversation. Later, bent over his crop, I see him, devening the huddled husks in the earth, twisting the kernels to check for the ripening. We shake hands, no more. Twenty years ago, he chose to stop speaking. That's the day no one remembers. Eyes will glaze over, turn to the hills and gaze at the sun. That night he roasts little pieces of corn while sounds of the evening crowd the hut. Incessant crickets, the fidgets of wagtails, the murmurs of cows, the cries of the crows, mosquitoes crooning the candlelight. And night gives over to swift sequences, a perfected cartwheel, a rushed row of sums, lopsided hopscotch, a wash in a stream, a broken tooth, a falling leaf, the flash of a satchel or sandals in dust, the snatch of a laugh. Papa Fabrice sits on a bench in an empty room, Segments of sweet corn disassembling the dark. And this second one is also about Rwanda. This is um, a story about um, one of my work colleagues. She was wonderful. Her name was Joyeuse. None of the names have been changed, but I'm using their French names, not their Chinese Rwanda names. Um, and also just a lot of silence. It was post-traumatic stress disorder that just didn't have the resources to be coped with. But then people are talking, even though she doesn't speak. So that happens all the time. People are talking about you, and you're not talking, but then you're talking about the other people. It goes on. And this is called Sunflowers. In dry season, Joyeuse leads her students outside, teaches social studies under sunflowers. On such days, the sun is close, catches the stipples of grey in her hair as she leans forward and softens her voice the way yellow petals spill over seedlings. The children cluster to answer her questions between the tendrils and tuberous stalks and straggled shadows of the framing leaves. The faces of teachers are threaded with scars. Joyeuse has only wrinkles. Red dust, though, can gather in both. The past is close. There are monuments and textbooks and similar filters. Yet it sidles quietly into conversation, only occasionally, and in careful whispers. He hid in Congo. Perhaps that is where he finally rests. Where? The forest. Who? Her husband. Who? The mare. And the words are droplets on lobelia. Rainfall collecting along runnels of creepers, a crow flapping into a mist. The forest is close. We can see it from here if we narrow our eyes. Yet its dense green secrets are far from this dust. The clicks of teeth, the tickly cough, the clouded roads, the flaking ligules, the parched curls of sisal. Between lessons, there are questions, and the answers seem close. Joyeuse sits in patience as the hours pass by, playing draughts against herself, or staring at sunflowers, their blank faces angled to the sky. Thank you. Thank you.
So the next poem is quite different. Um, last month I ran the London Marathon, and it's the first time I've done a marathon. So during my training I had this idea that I would write 26.2 poems, and there would be a poem for every mile. So then I could say the poems to myself in my head when I was running it. Obviously I didn't do this, and I didn't write the poems. <laughs> and when I was actually running I was concentrating on staying alive rather than thinking about poetry. But I did write two poems, one before, one after. So this is the one that I wrote before, and this was going to be... Um, for the, the start of the marathon, when I started researching the word marathon. And it's called fennel. I've discovered marathon means fennel, because masses grew in marathon. That fennel will thrive on dry soil, that it is hardy and perennial. That it has yellow flowers and feathery leaves, and its stems are taut and firm and rigid. That it withstands assaults of sun and wind, and it tastes of grit and aniseed. That it was insect repellent and medicine for the ancient Greeks, and that Prometheus brandished a giant stalk when he journeyed up to the seat of the gods at Olympus, to steal back the fire stolen by Zeus and return it in glory to mortals on earth. How he ranged the mountaintop at midnight and found a spark by a rock unnoticed, held the fennel low to its little blue heart and leapt away as soon as it caught. How he ran across fields and forests and slopes and grooves and lobes and corrugations of earth, dodging the gorges, the foothills and peaks and plateaus and depressions and delicate streams over plains and stretches and corners and shadows and lips and creases and dips and turns and the flame never wavered until all of Greece was infused with the fragrance of star anise. So this is the other poem I wrote, and this was after the marathon. Um, and yeah, you don't want to see my feet right now. It's about my feet, and it's called To a Blister. But it's also about how I just think if anyone can do the marathon, they should, because it's such an incredible day, especially um, times like these. You just see goodness everywhere, goodness in people, and goodness in people watching it, supporting it. It's just wonderful. It's so uplifting. So it was kind of about that as well. So it's called To a Blister. A globule of serum forming in secret to cushion the fragile pieces of tissue. What a beautiful thing a blister is. This delicate pocket of transparent fluid adorning the foot and holding the light like a gemstone of liquid, hidden and precious. At this point in the race, almost everything chafes. Nipples and inner thighs and armpits burn for attention, but never the touch points receiving these unbidden acts of kindness. The same chivalry of a coterie who will forego their race time to stop at a roadside and coax a runner to stand to his feet, walk him forward supporting his shoulders to buffer the distance and bolster the ache and make him believe he can still blitz this. Thank you, Izzy. Hi, GP. You got a, have we got a slam coming up? 14th of June, all you potential slammers. This is the slam supremo of the UK, JP. Thanks for coming. Okay, we're talking slams. That's why I asked him. Rick Dove, where are you, Rick? Hello, Rick. Yes, it's bright light here. Um, Rick, you were an award winner at the BBC Edinburgh Poetry Slam in 2018 and the 25th anniversary UK Slam. So come and give us your... Well, you've got three times three minutes, so there you go. Rick Dove, thank you. 
like every good poet, I haven't actually decided what I'm going to do for my set yet. Um, thank you to Paul. Thank you to the society. Thank you to the 55 poets that have come before me and the four that are coming after. Um, I'm just stalling while I try and remember the first line. Sometimes when you come into a space, you want to do the thing, what you want people to hear. I want you to hear this. I heard it first at seven, the day they called me Gollywog. And as the word passed these lips to meet mum's ear, a tear, and every time since then I'm back there, little boy lost there, wondering when I will grow up, praying and praying and praying like that's ever been enough, that this world will too. Strange then that this was to my childhood's very end, there in an 80s living room as mum and dad and I have the chat. And my dad regales the tale, tells it again and again in his final days about his early years on this isle, how only black in the village was actually a thing, and how it was him, and how on a summer's day no more than eight, a policeman at the gate came to tell his mum he couldn't go to the corner shop alone again. He hadn't stolen anything, but the shopkeeper, like so many back then, wasn't one for details except the simple single one that still holds us back. So later that evening, Granny and Grandad give my eight-year-old dad the chat. And I rehearse it with a girlfriend. Same night as our first tiff, late on a date about 2003, the year, not the hour, as she suggests we flag a cab. And her privilege hits me there, hits me square, hits me full force in the derriere. I won't be able to flag one here, I snap, snarky, inferring, maybe it should be you in the flooded gutter in your good shoes. And later that evening, as I'm cleaning her boots, she and I have the chat. And that's how it's been for generations, parents to their children, star-crossed lovers in explanation, in conversation after conversation after conversation after conversation, explaining how being black, though having some advantages, will get you treated as lesser by some, will make you a target to some, will put you in the crosshairs of some, and this is something a quartet of Carl Lewis, Linford Christie, Usain Bolt, and Jesse Owens can't outrun. It's a baton that we're still passing, and this is me to you, my son. Because that's how I'll have to give it to my boy. So I hope this world will grow so you never truly know that feeling of being so conspicuous and yet so small. Of representing an entire skin tone all on your own, alone, because I know whenever you feel the weight of that, it will crush you flat. And you deserve to be on show only when you choose to be. So now you're fully grown and in possession of our truth, I know you will guard it well until it is due. But I also hope and pray that that's ever been enough, that this will end with you. And hopefully one day, a black man standing on a stage or putting a pen to a page will stop being a political act. But until then, we have the chat. Thank you. I'm going to switch it up a bit. I'm going to do an acrostic villanelle. If you want, if you want to know what is actually written on the first letter of every line, you're going to have to buy my book. Sorry. It's called Counterpoint. Shush, she says, with slip of tongue and trip of sighs, puffed through pursed lips, come high to bait with this. Every silence has music, and this is mine, 
as maddening space grows apace like kisses rained upon the face in manic tryst. Shush, she says, with slip of tongue and trip of sighs. Too much, too soon to speak of, too moved am I hearing inferred words under breath amiss. Every silence has music, and this is mine. In contortions, convoluted, thrall, divine, nude, in assonance, so asinine, we twist. Shush, she says, with slip of tongue and trip of sighs. All words must leave you now, her breathy lullaby. Nothingness is where we reside in bliss. Every silence has music, and this is mine. Made crazed, crotenjo, tantric, tied, unified, passions leave our meaning stripped. Shush, she says, with slip of tongue and trip of sighs. Every silence has music, and that, my love, was mine. I'm going to try and do this one from memory. I'm not sure I've quite got it yet. Um, it's called Lifting the Lid. Before I do this, quick show of hands. Who knows about Schrodinger's cat? It's about half. This just should work. I always felt that Schrodinger's cat was black. So damned familiar to be that experiment of a white man to be put in a box, to be both alive and dead and theoretical for the sake of someone else's critical thinking, just an impossible image inside someone else's head, subjected, subject, sorry, subjected, subjugated, sold and bred and made undead by this our shared history that neglects to mention how the torture and murder of small animals is actually an early warning sign of psychopathy. But you know this already. And I know this intimately, having an affinity with that moggy frequently while out jogging, while doing laps at dawn and watching others scorn as they cross themselves and cross the street to keep away from me, to keep me from crossing their path. And you may laugh, but I always felt that Schrodinger's cat was black. So damned familiar, that duality of being and not being for the... The, quantum, sorry, the superpositions and quantum states of being a number one for weak sexual fantasy and the lynch mob scapegoat simultaneously. That eternal duality of the word hung. About being corrected once by a white man to say hanged as if by way of reparations or apology he should correct my grammar and silence me subtly, put a lid on me, bottle me and store me away in a cool and dark place as if being seen and heard might actually make me real instead of this velveteen victim of the white man's burden that he'd now rather forget and stuff in a box with a poison pill to be dispatched, to be euphemistically lost. And so, like Schrodinger's cat, I am both fully assembled and fat-packed, numbered irrationally the root of two worlds. Some still exist, still insist, are mutually exclusive, black and British. Two worlds squished and sealed into this to be or not to be by these ghetto experiments in imperial measurements to be or not to be poisoned by this maddening society that both adopted and neglected me and co-opted and rejected me and still imagines me taking jobs while stealing welfare simultaneously and then continuously puts me in a box and then ends up hating that box when it comes to define me and leaves it feeling all of the guilty of its acts founded on all those murders it would rather not see. 
the early warning signs of psychopathy. And so you see, I always felt that Schrodinger's cat was black. So damned familiar to me was his story. This duality of being or not being, forever at the whims of those out there doing the seeing and their curiosities. So please, 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 don't get me started on my bisexuality. Okay, I'm going to do one more. Um, occasionally, I like to do silly poems for slams, which you're not supposed to win, but you do them with really, really terrible poems, so forgive me for this one. It's a really, really long pun. Don't be distracted by the fact I'm so attractive. Fallen, fallen from heaven, fallen manner maketh man, with a face to launch a thousand sails and a gift horse in the pants. For this beauty I am beholden to behold it in their hands, held firm in tight possession, decorated by a brand, and never seen as more than chattel, or for what I truly am, both a pedestal to put me on and stand. So don't be distracted by this fact I'm so attractive with this voice of dripping lotus, lullaby, the soothing sea, still with lips, whispering kisses, still misreading me, I see. I'm not for objectifying, though I see that you are trying to see me beside you, sighing, lying prone in your bed, I see. I see you gazing longingly at me. So don't be distracted by this fact I'm so attractive, because while you're looking at my surface, so highly, wily polished, all you'll see is your own reflected image in Narcissus filigree. For the first sight stretch forever is all will ever be in the shimmered mirror's mirror where the wonders never cease, ever after for each other, nothing more than this conceit. Thank you very much. Isn't this wonderful? Um, two poems um, about one of my late brothers. Um, that's late as in dead. Coroner's report. They call you gentlemen. Then list the quantities of heroin, crack and alcohol, head injuries, cellulitis. Hey, no wonder you were depressed. The groin abscess injected just the day before. Nicotine on your fingers, dirt under your nails, no lipstick on your collar. Asthmatic, keep that cat off his bed, mum said. Hepatitis C, unwashed feet, time of death, lungs congested, kidneys disintegrated. But sorry, mate, your intestines were unremarkable. Um, <laughs> feel free. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so this was written uh, after visiting... His, his grave, but also after my sister had told me that I was banned from publishing the previous poem. Hush. Pink awakening, persistent in its climbing. White echo, needy for sun. Red and resistant blaze, and in my teeth a dog rose, 
wiles and needle sharp. Torn from the oasis of a collective conscience, I refuse to underwrite the estimable silence through which your soundtrack seeps. My tongue is held by a scold's bridle as ancient songs extinguish the man you became. I bundle your secrets from off the page, take my dry semantics to the rough stone and barren sod that mark you, a mute fire starter bearing flammable ink and flowers. Um, most of the poems in this pamphlet um, relate to prostitution. Um, and this one was inspired by um, two supposed prostitutes from the Bible. God said. God said that I am stranger than the honey on my lips. My mouth is as smooth as oil, easing me along to a bitter end. These stilettos are bound for hell. I say, couldn't your son wash his own feet? Don't bring my hair into it. I'm dry-eyed and my perfume stays right behind my ears. My attic brings salvation to many men and my walls don't even crack. This town isn't Jericho, baby. I can worship the moon if I wish. There is no faith to save me. I will not go in peace. And this is the, the title poem, Rented. That kiss was not the debutante's kiss. Bought at De Beers, then deposited in the country pile. That kiss was certainly not the girl's kiss, purchased with ponies and funds in trust. That kiss was not the kiss in the back of the Daimler that never was a kiss, but something more urgent exchanged for a single note. That kiss, one of many kisses you will deliver in this stuccoed hallway, was the boyfriend experience. Your manly hands enfolding his face, your tongue at the back of his throat. Such a kiss, my dear, can only be rented. And uh, I haven't been looking at the time, actually, but I think this will probably be the last one. Um, and this is rather different. This is for anybody who's have a pet, ever had a pet hamster. Hamster time. They relied on us for seed and shavings of wood. We could turn their day to night at the drop of a blanket, start them where we left off, on the treadmill, marking time, going nowhere, busying on our behalf. They didn't live long. Biennially, we removed a cold corpse from the straw. Our tower block home prevented burial. Everyone was tearful, unaccepting of the deaths. The dustbin was out of the question. 
we magnetised them. Placed upon our fridge, Fluffy reminded us to buy butter and eggs. Honey sat stiff on the bills in red. Tiny timed the school runs. Cheeks rigor mortis held dentist appointments. But dead hamsters don't last forever. Their fur fell out along with their eyes. Decomposing paws dropped our lives onto the lino. Minus these reminders, we lost our sense of purpose. The lights went first, and then the heat. We took our children out of school, stopped shopping for food, scavenged in cupboards, opening tins with our teeth, which eventually, without due care, we lost. Communicating in squeaks, pausing to defecate in corners, we formed our wheel from bedsteads and bikes. Then with uncut nails, we set upon the junk mail and papers and constructed the ultimate nest. One more. One more, Patty. This is called domestic. Having decided to make love in our galley kitchen, we realised not every dish has to start with garlic and onions. The stove is out of bounds, harbouring our nourishment, contained in something heavy, foreign, built to outlast us. Do you see through the porch window the bulbs that have survived the frost as you issue over the recycling? Watch me ape along the Edwardian door handles until you find the place like the natural break in asparagus. You wipe clean the perspex bar stool as I rest in the adjoining room. It had offered soft furnishing, a comfortable landing. We are spent and have saved the upholstery. Thank you very much. Now then, the penultimate poem, and poet, sorry, poet, got more than one poem, haven't we? Yes, absolutely. Um, about eight years ago, Cat Francois was very kind um, to introduce me at an Apples and Snakes gig at Rich Mix. That was a long time ago, wasn't it? And ever since then, she's gone on to win, as it says here, win many accolades, being world, world slam champion. How about that? Woo! Definitely. Woo, yes. Uh, I've heard her on Radio 4 and all over the place. She doesn't need any introduction, uh, except that you probably want me to give a plug for Word for Word, which happens at Theatre Royal Stratford East every third Sunday of the month, if any, fourth Sunday of the month. We got it wrong. Oh. All right, it's got to be one of them. Anyway, please welcome Cat Francois. Good evening. Thank you for that introduction. And thank you for having me. Um, wonderful event and very happy to be a part of it. So the first piece I'm going to do is called Faith. And it is the first part is a piece that was published last year in our anthology about Caribbean soldiers in the First World War. And the second part of it is from my play about it. 
So I'll read this bit first. It's called Faith. It's been months since I heard from you. A month since your letters dried up like a drought. No news carry yet, but still I hope. Hmm. Still I pray. On the day you left, you did look so handsome in your uniform. All you boys did, so spick and so span and so proper. Colors pressed flat, buttons done right up to the top of your necks. Hmm. Hats on just right, dark skin glistening, back straight, rifles in hand, serious and determined looks on all your faces. You all did look so strong and ready, ready for war. So much people came to the port to wave all of you off, and we all huddled up together, tight like fish in a net, pushing and shoving just to get the best spot of the boat. There were ladies in their finest way, umbrellas and pretty, pretty fans aplenty. The dignitaries, they all made an appearance and they even rolled out the brass band. They did play so loud, they sounded more like a thunderstorm. Hmm. Anyway, it really was something to see. The sun was so hot and sweat was running all over my body just like a boiling spring. Everybody was waving and shouting and cheering as if celebrating something wonderful. But all I could feel was fear. All I could do was hold tight to our child like a little life raft and pray you would return. Church is always packed tight like a new djembe skin. Everybody asking God to send their loved ones back in one piece. The singing has become somewhat more urgent than usual. Me... I'm waiting. I'm just waiting to see if my prayers will be answered. I'm hopeful. Yes, I'm hopeful everything will be well. There was no way that the Lord will forsake me. I have faith that we will see each other again. I wish I could tell him. I wish I could tell him. That I regret not saying goodbye. I regret not kissing him on his full lips that fearful day. I wish I could tell him, I wish I could tell him that I miss him. The taste, the feel, the smell of him. The way his fingers would curl around my waist and run through my hair. But I just don't dare. I wish I could tell him. I wish I could tell him. You know when you love somebody, you just can't get them out of your mind. Well, I dream of my Lazarus. I dream of my Lazarus. I dream of my Lazarus, morning, noon, and night. I wish this pen would run freely. I wish this pen would run freely. I wish this pen would run freely and tell him how I really feel that I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. 
waiting for him to come home. That's I'm waiting, waiting, waiting with every ounce of my aching bones. I wish this pen would run freely. I wish this pen would run freely. I wish this pen would run freely and tell him how I really feel. That I'm waiting, waiting, waiting with every ounce of my aching bones. That I'm waiting, waiting, waiting for my Lazar to come home. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it's hard to hold on when all the sunshine has gone, when the joy has been drained and the pain refuses to fade and your body shuts down as it struggles to decipher the world's tirade. And we seek solace and we seek solace in things that numb, euthanize. And it's hard to hide the pain inside, so we smother it in smiles and falsified cries. And it slowly seeps from tired eyes, slowly secretes from sweated skin, skin burning from ugly fires rampaging within. And anxiety grips and beats like a wielded stick, chokes and suffocates until the space to breathe is a fight for life and not just a need. And we seek solace, and we seek solace. And the truth is tongue-tied and the truth is blind. We kidnap our own emotions, refuse them the light of day, keep them rat caged inside our terrified chests until they cannot express, until they cannot confess. Frustrated and bruised, beaten and confused, the truth has lost its way. Turned left when it should have turned right, gone up when it should have gone down. Preached and sick, the truth is drowning, 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 drowning in its own rotten skin, withered and thin, full of regret and earthly sin. We spend days, weeks, months and years ignoring the status quo. Unplugging ourselves from the system so we don't have to think and we don't have to feel and we complete ignorance. Scroll past drowned babies, scroll past broken cities, scroll past teen stabbings, scroll past black bodies condemned to eternal silence by police officers, both trigger happy and techy. We sell our soul to the highest online bidder, we sell our soul to the highest online bidder, yet 40 pieces of silver we do not receive because Jesus we do not have to deliver. The truth is tongue-tied and the truth is blind. And we seek solace and we seek solace. And the truth is tongue-tied and the truth is blind. We kidnap our own emotions, refuse them the light of day, keep them rat caged inside our terrified chests until they cannot express, until they cannot confess. Frustrated and bruised, beaten and confused, the truth has lost its way. Turn left when it should have turned right, gone up when it should have gone down. Putrid and sick, the truth is drowning, 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 drowning in its own rotten skin, withered and thin, full of regret and earthly sin. We have become spineless. Spiritless, voiceless, unaware that we all walk around suffering from post-traumatic stress. Images stored in the back of our brain will come back to haunt us at a later date. We are not untouchable. We're not protected by some invisible first world bubble. We will stink of privilege and superiority. We all have way too many possessions and we all own way more than we need. Yet we are dissatisfied, yet we are unhappy. So we coventry our inner child. Gluttony our now, fail to satisfy our tomorrow. We've lost our innocence, lost our beauty. So much so we cannot 
bear witness to our own reflection, so we constantly filter what we see. But as we walk burdened in this physical form, with debauchery and cruelty have become the norm, there are so many options and not one real solution. And we seek solace, and we seek solace, and we seek solace. And the truth is tongue-tied, and the truth is blind. We kidnap our own emotions, refuse them the light of day, keep them rat-caged inside our terrified chests until they cannot express, until they cannot confess. Frustrated and bruised, beaten and confused, the truth has lost its way, turned left when it should have turned right, gone up when it should have gone down, putrid and sick, the truth is drowning, 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 its own rotten skin, withered and thin, full of regret and earthly sin. And we seek solace, and we seek solace, and we seek solace. Thank you. My lips are thick lips, as thick as blue-black plum lips. They are not shy lips. They protrude unruly from my face, rebellious and full of cat-walk attitude. <laughs> they do not do quiet. They do not know how to slip absent father into the background. In fact, they are as loud as a roaring concord. They are not as flat as an acal doily, freshly straightened hair, a dead pulse or a can of opened yet forgotten coke. Neither are they as thin as neck curtains, clouds, patience, or the latest fandangled panty liner. They are obnoxiously beautiful and defiantly unbreakable. But since childhood, these lips have been laughed at, ridiculed, and torn apart, because society does not seem to appreciate these lips when they sit on dark skin that looks like mine, but they are upheld when they sit on lighter, whiter, brighter, Jolie or Cardassian skin. But my lips ignore the lip-hating, race-baiting bullshit. Chains cannot bind these lips, glue cannot stick these lips, and needles cannot stitch up these lips, for they are two fabulous divas, sexy and burlesque, glittery and sparkly, and they will not be held responsible for any feelings of inadequacy they may cause unless substantial lips, for they are two puffy pillows of perfection. So do not tell them to keep anything close to their chest. Do not tell them to keep anything under their hat, for they will not comply, for these lips are here to stay and they will not be ignored. They are ample, boxsome, curvaceous, deliciously enviable, feel-figured and well-formed. They cannot all be sent to the back of the bus. They cannot all be imprisoned and squirreled away in solitary confinement. They cannot all be assassinated, whipped and strangled. They cannot all be shot as they sell cigarettes on the New York street. They cannot all be shot as their 12-year-old hands hold onto a fake gun or their teenage hands hold onto a packet of Skittles. They cannot all be suffocated by police officers while in a mental institute. And they cannot be shot as they sit in a British car on a British street. For there are far too many of these thick black lips for them all to be silenced. Thank you. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks, Kat. That was great. Thank you. Way. Yes. Way. Uh, thank you, Yomi. See you. Bye bye. 
just before we've come to the very last act of the evening, but before we bring them on, can we please have a really big round of applause, even though there's not many of you, for the organiser of this event, Paul McGrain, and for Ben at the back of the room there too. Yes. Yeah. Paul, I'm going to embarrass you and ask you to say a few words after this. You can tell us how much we've raised or if you know or anything like that. So, okay. So the final act of the evening is a writer, a poet, a playwright whose books include two collections, Calagora and Digital Monsoon, both with penned in the margins, dubbed one of the ten rising stars of British poetry by The Times. Can we please welcome Siddhartha Bose? Thank you. Uh, thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here. Um, prologue novel. <clears throat> In an open field, chrome... I should warn you, it's going to go really dark now, so <laughs> do forgive me. <laughs> prologue novel. In an open field, chrome city streets... Black hat pus of cars circulate, excavate gutters fish-eyed, estuary of streets five river meeting holy water, necklace-shaped streets comfortably closed in by shops and stores of endless kinds selling groceries, electricity, fresh goat meat, flowers, wine, cutlery, crockery, armchairs laced with silk dragons, telephone cards, marketed music, magazines, pets, paints, wallpaper, midget fashion way, lampshade, gas chambers, violin vultures, cow fart methane, crocodile plants, fresh human meat, ginger spiced, leather eyes in boil, chandeliers, ice cream, glue, fresh hot hot cars, jewels in ice, illegal immigrant American alien, bark, stamp you on forehead, barcode your balls and soles, silicon chips, newspapers, health and safety, global warming instructions, hot and sour soup, kit foes, spicy chart, cricket bats, milk massage, blood pressure monitors, dialysis edges, psychiatrists, auto-eroticality, Laughing Bamiyan Buddhas, frozen fish heads, neatly packaged Qurans, calligraphy, flower pots, maximum megalopolis, future city. Its walls plastered with communist propaganda, sickle and chain, hammered light, nebulous neon, jeans, mass-shipped and shaped Botox being, shirt and evening gown stepping into dark bars, streets of cement littered with non-degradable plastic, starving stomach running like dogs for bread, computer parlors teeming with paranoid atoms, subway stops sucking in omega supernovas, brick buildings with grilled and thatched windows, Glass buildings vomiting suited booted workers, buses bleeding, cars hipping, rickshaws and trams, when men, women, white, black, brown, blue, street musicians, transnational incorporated, guitars, didgeridoos, pots, pans, electric wires, cockroach antennae, stretches of steel, cosmic cafe spots, cigarette color, cholera, balloon stomach dysentery, maximum megalopolis future city. Thank you. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> um, Animal City, this is a poem that's set in uh, Mumbai, but it was written in London, so it's sort of s written from the perspective of, you know, being far away. Animal City. <clears throat> 
Twin bride of my ten-head home, I watch you closely from the cross of scorched lands, rubble of sea foam, fire of snake tongue. Grand and pungent in act, I long to write you an epic worthy of our ancient tales. For now these bites will do as I chrome myself round your lingo, scalding my brow with your tears of grime, shame, big talk wealth. I gender you in full-on curry angrezi with patwa political, image transcontinental. Close on nine years you be my multiverse Bombay Mary John. Now me, your bastard rat shipper, who you coal tore by turns, breaking limbs, tossing one by one after chop and changing me to your dogs that bark the rounds of Kala Gora. Me, you fat in slums, stomach-lining Chhatrapati Shivaji International Airport. Me, you snatch like the sea necklace by Marine Drive. Me, you step underfoot but towards the mosque that grows from the sea by Haji Ali, breaking me into the south. Me, you bleed on treetops that crown Siddhi Vinayak Temple, pole vaulting through cricket parks, church bells, lion in Sion. Me, you gorge in dark bandra sounds with India Electronica, the Asli Bhangra. Me, you lick in clamor bars of Juhu, palm trees and pork by the sea view. Me, you sweat in Paobaji streets, Pani Puri, gag, vada pow, itch. Me, you wet in tobacco nights, incense from Nigerian peddlers in Kalaba, fevered. You are my crude health the crass in my conscience. Once one of your statue saints called out at the curve of Mahim as the smog of sun cut through canopy trees in cockroach antennae. Life's an echo. You get back what you give. I remember too much. I insurrect. I saw. Recalling me pulling out earwax, galling me, heavy and brown and long like rat shit, by cuff parade at the ballpoint pentip of South Bombay. I see through large French windows, fishing nets, sea salt. Wood smells like horsehide. On the bus back to Versova, home from school, my math teacher yells me about those Goan sausages, how spicy they be, my mother would like them. My first love, Aditi, in the school close by Amitabh Bachchan's house. I thought her an androgyne, as in my child wet dreams. We'd fly over electric grass, white light in Andheri. But no, no, I tell it straight. One stark, one image stark stays genuine. We stop on Linking Road when days when fiats clog the shape of traffic towards Mahim Causeway. Long before the whip of olive bars, mojo melts, too school for cool, draw mocking Mumbaikas, sultry and bangled bandra. No, back in the 80s, a few years before I played football with a bat-blind, cancered grandfather, my mother and me stop at the corner where Waterfield Road spills. Nearby, Ma light the cottage cheese shop. 
As we wait for the green light, a sadhu, six-footed, walks to my open-aired window, dreads matted, beard and forest, saffron covered with hint of charcoal, fume, lavender. He has a sleek, spotted, jazz pattern python wrapped round his upper torso, fitted like a bride's sari. The snake head juts out in a slither above his locks. He stretches those crow hands, pigeon nails towards me, eyes fired, jaundiced yellow. I recall screaming. A hijra on the street divider claps his hands, clacks like a witch. Light greens, cars cough, cop blinks, ma shakes. Those sorry lists were hacks, turntablers, scabs on a tired southern Europe. They never knew you, oh, animal city, where a thousand gods, just like men, hanging out in late evening suburban trains, rowdy, brutal, bleeding. Now some call you Maya Nagri, city of dreams, but in me, traitor, you be the slick oil, the steel breath, the becoming cancerous star shape of a fresh-from-sleep, proud, seething century. It's a longish one, maybe three minutes, of, or it's, yeah, four minutes? Okay, this, so from Bombay, we'll go to Hackney Wick in uh, East London. Hackney Wick's so cool these days, but this was set in 2009, um, and it's called Wick Love. <coughs> Two years ago, I met this, should be 10 years ago. 10 years ago, I met this cinnamon girl with glasses and a mean child tribal smile at the Hackney Wicked Festival. Her hair fit for the shape of brown deserts. When it falls, it flecks the laughter of her gods. Her nose is a cat, leopard lips. Her neck, the perfection of a lemon whose green bleeds my eyes. Chicken shop, corner kebab, glimmer dereliction, hackney wick, chromatic, fizzes, bobs, pops and soap bubbles like commuters on a plunked escalator. How do you make the city a spirit, she asks, when all you see is a plant without roots. She's more than here. My fear is incense. Outside the fiesta hums, carnival eyes, ears, hands, hips, edge and slither around the wasteland of white caravans, blaring nirvana, bulldog chained, locked. Clouds curve and streak like ringed fingers, paintbrush pink, blotched impressions. Carnival raves glow in dungeons under the Russian cum of the highway by Victoria Park Sanitation. On Felstead Street, the old bedlam performers fizzle. Old man looking like an Amish prophet, long-haired and black-hatted, limp-walking, stink-pissing. Next to him, there's Jude with her whistle-gun laugh, her fractured teeth and glasses. Hovering bird-like over them, there's Bigfoot waddling like a duck, blind and bearded, headed for his four-cheeseburger fix. I wonder what they make of this performed bohemia. Round them hackney erupts, art imaginings, studios as prehistoric caves, fellow music relaces the canal, punk step grinds hard in the Lord Napier, hoodies hunt and sell tornado ketamine and graffiti, dinosaur bloodstains, magic map ruins lead our way. 
Inside, we sit surrounded by plants, a cat-curled, framed window, salmon sky. A crane sticks out like a fishbone. She tells me stories of her ancestral village in Greece, of a lake called Carla, full of reincarnated fish. When I say all art is shamanic, she nods, sticking her tongue in my rib hole. When I ask about Mount Olympus rivering down a blank alleyway by Fish Island, she, her hair electric, smiles in salt rain. The first night in the abandoned car park with litter graffiti of White Post Lane, cockroach eyes, space warriors, dragon souls, we pop. She reaches out, ruffles my razor head, cleaning my aura. It's heavy, she says in a wink. She doesn't like reggae, I cringe. Wandering, I see the lines in my face and a glowing crystal ball in a Spanish squat in St. Mary's Church. I am more than one person, one place. At home, we dance to MJ, greet the morning, twirling to silk jazz, that killer rendition of autumn leaves on something else. The smoke oil musk in my skin kills her. We sleep alone. Next day, I take the stage with beatboxes, throbbing my rhymes. A drebble-dread worshipper, shamanic, muscles through the crowd, sinks in mud, trance-hipped and wild, gives me the finger. Nighttime, the wicker man burns, fireflies abound, tribal sound, emancipation. We stray, sorting our way through to the peanut factory, find ourselves in a net with bouncing balls. We throw them at each other, laughing, peeling like onions. By the canal, we levitate. Police helicopters float and cut currents above us. We swat them away, becoming one in defiance. Below there's hackney and pink, river shroud, rave rotted incantation. Prayers join us, morning spills like milk, the sky is molten lead like a surgeried heart. And my child, my child, my child is me. Thanks for listening. Huge thanks go to all 60 poets who contributed to the Poemathon, as well as the many volunteers who helped us run the event on the day. You can still donate to the Poemathon at bits.ly slash poemdonate. That's bits.ly slash poemdonate. This has been a podcast from the Poetry Society. You can find out more about our publications, competitions, projects and events at poetrysociety.org.uk.